And I hate to disappoint you, but we're not in Ecclesiastes this morning. We are in the Gospel of John, and not that you can't find Christ in Ecclesiastes, I hope you know that, but uh, the Gospel of John is is straight out uh, about Christ, and it is one of the four Gospels that we have of his life. And so, John, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1, I'll read through verse 4. And then I'll pick up and and read verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we confess that we need Jesus. We confess that we need the living word. And we thank you for the written word, which tells us infallibly about the living word. Oh, Lord, may this scripture portion today be life to us. May, by the Holy Spirit, this portion of your word illumine our minds. You are the light of the world. Uh, Lord, may you be that light and show us. Lord, your ways and your truth today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Someone has said that if Christ really is the incarnate word, then the incarnation is the central fact of the entire history of the world. Some of you enjoy history, I know, and uh, certain uh, portions of the history of the world or of this country you, you find certain interest in. But the Incarnation is, it is history, it's real history, and it's the most uh, significant history in our world. Well, we can't help, of course, but pause and reflect at this time of year uh, on uh, this glorious truth of the Word made flesh. Almost everyone, Christian and non-Christian, knows something about Christmas. They know that he was, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem uh, <clears throat> was turned into a tourist uh, place uh, uh, some years ago. It's going to be a rough tourist season this year, this Christmas over there. But um, <clears throat> people know that uh, he was born there and that his mother was Mary, a poor Jewish girl, married to a, a Jewish man named Joseph, although he was not the father. Uh, according to the story, people know that. Uh, they know that when she was in labor, there was no room for them in the inn. At least that's what the translations say. Uh, often today we, we hear that that wasn't really the case, that it was just uh, there was no room for them in the home where they were staying. Uh, they were perhaps staying with family or friends. And, uh, and, and yet, yes, he was laid in a manger. Animals slept in the home during the winter because 
uh, they needed to come in out of the cold, and they actually helped heat the house uh, at that time. But uh, other things we could add to this list of details that are connected with the birth of Christ, <clears throat> and uh, most of that information is in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, John's gospel has a different focus, a more spiritual focus, getting uh, to the meaning behind these things. And of course, a lot of people believe things about uh, connected with the birth of Christ that aren't exactly true. I, um, I mean, even even this morning, I was reading some things that I had to correct my thinking about uh, the shepherds. I won't go into that, but um, we we have a lot of uh, kind of uh, spurious traditions and ideas that have been told us through the years that have been added on and passed down and accepted as true, even though they're not. Uh, John MacArthur said there's two uh, problems uh, or tendencies in our culture related to Christmas. One is to mythologize it. You have all these uh, you know, myths that are added to it. And then the other is to secularize Christmas. <clears throat> but um, what is it? Well, Christmas is the story of the incarnation and birth of, of the Son of God, the Lord of glory who came down from heaven to save sinners. That's what, that's what Christmas is. And the word incarnation, it simply means to be made flesh or to become flesh. Um, and, and, and of course, for us, the incarnation is, is the fact that Jesus Christ is God. And in, and in and as God, he became man. He's truly God and he's truly man. And, and we're going to look at what that means and why it matters. The first... Thing, three points today. First thing is that Jesus Christ is true God. Jesus Christ is true God. Uh, I think early in my Christian life, I really wasn't sure about this. I don't know if I hadn't been taught it or just hadn't thought through it. <clears throat> but, uh, but to say that Jesus is God, at one time I would have hesitated to say that. I do not hesitate anymore uh, to say that. In the beginning was the Word. It's the first thing John says. It reminds us, of course, of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, and, and from the context of this chapter 1 in John, we know that the Word is clearly referring to Jesus Christ. And what does John tell us about him? Well, uh, we learn that he was in the beginning. Uh, that is, that, that the Word existed from eternity. Uh, and... That is, um, before creation, before anything had been made. And uh, it proves that Jesus is not part of the creation. Now, his human nature, yes, was created. In fact, he created it. He created his own uh, human body uh, for him to inhabit. And, but uh, he himself, as the eternal son, existed uh, before creation came into being. Now, many of the cults, uh, have taught that that Christ was a created being and not eternal God. For example, the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, they don't believe in the Trinity, and, and they teach that, that Jesus was a created being. They actually teach, and I had to look this up because when I, uh, when I saw that, I was like, I didn't remember that. But they actually teach that he is the archangel Michael. <clears throat> and although they, they refer to him as the only begotten God, they, they don't mean the same thing that we do by that term. They, they insist, the Jehovah's Witnesses insist, that Jesus is the first uh, of 
the created beings of God. But John says otherwise. In the beginning, uh, before time, before space, before uh, creation, uh, the Word was with God. And so as the Son of God, Jesus did not come into being when he was born of the Virgin Mary. In fact, he had no beginning. In John 17, 5, uh, Jesus is praying, and he said, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus existed before the world did. And he was with God and shared the glory of God because he was and is God. And the next thing he says about the word, it says that it was with God. the word was with God and the word was God. Two things. Uh, he was with God. That means uh, literally the Greek is he was face to face with God. God the Son was face to face with God the Father from all eternity. Uh, the Father and the Son, in other words, were distinct persons. Uh, they, uh, the Son and the Father are not the same person. God doesn't, you know, uh, simply manifest himself as the Son sometimes and the Father sometimes, the Spirit sometimes. He is the Father. He is the Son. He is the Spirit. Three distinct persons. Here we find strong support for the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, that there is one eternal God who exists eternally in three distinct persons. So that um, even though the Spirit is not mentioned in this passage, so John is teaching that Christ is the Word, who, and he is the true God. I talked with someone this week who used to be a member of a, of a cult called The Way. You guys heard about The Way? Uh, it's, it's fallen on hard times lately, which is a good thing. But uh, I remember going to a meeting with a friend of mine from high school. Uh, he was going to, to uh, attending these Bible studies, and I went with him. He invited me, and, and it was the way, and uh, it was strange, and uh, I, I thankfully didn't go back and didn't get sucked into that. But he said, he said, uh, this this friend of mine said the other day, he said, I was a heretic. I used to be a heretic, and uh, because Jesus, according, <clears throat> I'm sorry about my voice today. Didn't know this was going to happen. Um, according to the way, Jesus was a perfect man. But he wasn't God. Uh, he had no pre-existence. They said. They say. And yet John says in the beginning, he was with God, and that he was God. So the Way International basically <clears throat> promotes two beliefs that are common to almost all cults and false religions. One is they deny the deity of Jesus Christ, and the second is they that works uh, that you must do good works in order uh, to gain salvation. And so uh, this is in direct contradiction to the Bible and certainly to our passage today. And as we know, as, as Solomon taught us in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. And so this, this heresy of denying the deity, the full deity of Jesus Christ, has been around with us for a long time. In the early church, it was the ancient heresy of Arianism, a man named Arius, actually uh, taught uh, that Jesus was not fully God. He wasn't deity. And so this, this heresy of Arianism, uh, it comes and goes. It, 
in, in different forms today. We must always be on guard against it. But we can be thankful that even back then, uh, that truth, the truth of the, of the incarnation of the Son of God, the deity of Jesus Christ, was upheld. And there was a man named Athanasius uh, during that same time that Arius was around. And Athanasius stood contra mundum. That means against the world. Almost everybody was falling for this heresy. They were wanting to follow Arius. And so he stood alone, as it were, against him. And he wrote a great treatise. His work um, on the incarnation of the Son of God remains, even today, one of the most definitive statements of Orthodox Christianity, uh, of Trinitarian faith. Well, John continues in verse 3 to inform us that all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. What does that say about Jesus? That he is the co-creator of the world, of all things. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. And we think of God speaking, but Jesus Christ is the word by which God made all things. And creation, like, the, like all the works of God, is a tr- work of the Trinity. If you go back to, to Genesis 1, you see that the Holy Spirit was involved in creation, as well as the Father, and of course here, the Son. And so, far from being a created being, Jesus was the creator. You can't be both. The creator doesn't... <laughs> uh, you know, the, the cre- you're either the creator or you're a creature, and he is creator. And, uh, of course, he became incarnate. He, he became man. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But he, the one who came into the world was God. Uh, deity, full deity. Every bit as much God as the Father is God or the Holy Spirit. And so if he's God, he should be worshipped, right? Well, this is what we find uh, in the Bible. Hebrews 1.6 says, let all the angels of God worship him. You don't worship uh, a you know, part of the creation, uh, that's forbidden. God alone is to be worshipped, so Jesus must be God. Moving on to verse 4, we read that in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Uh, and so Jesus is uh, God because he is the source of life. Uh, the light, he's the life. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And... Um, in John 5:26, it says, "For as the Father has life in Himself, that is, He is self-sustaining, uh, and 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 has being in and of Himself. As the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself. So not only does the Son uh, take part in creating the world." He also sustains that life that he has created. He's sustaining your life this very moment. Uh, Your heart is beating because the Son of God wills for it to beat. And the Bible says, you know, that he gives us our every breath. It also says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We should use that breath that God has given us, that life, to give him praise and honor and glory. Verse 4 says he was also the light of men. Uh, Jesus entered a dark and sinful world. It's still a dark and sinful world, but it's a lot less dark than it would be if Christ had not come. It's being enlightened. You and I were once in darkness, but we have 
been enlightened by our Lord Jesus Christ. We've come to know him. So light is associated with knowledge, with understanding, with truth. And, for, and John 1, 9 uh, says that Jesus was the true light that gives light to every man coming into the world. So there's a sense in which any light that any human being has, it's from Christ. But certainly that's true most of all in a spiritual sense that he gives light uh, to those who believe in him. Uh, Psalm 36, 9 includes both these aspects of life and light. It says, for with you is a fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Uh, this is who Jesus is. He's the source of life, physical life, spiritual life, and he's the source of light that, of, that is of truth. And he imparts that knowledge of truth uh, to those who come to him. So in verse 1, John shows us that Jesus is true God, uh, and, and, and as God, he's to be worshipped and glorified. And if he's God, then we should put our trust in him. Uh, we should completely submit to him. And uh, as God, he creates and sustains us, so uh, he gives us light and life. Uh, this is who Jesus is. He is God in the flesh. And the second thing is that not only is Jesus true God, he is true man. The word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. So the word became flesh. That's incarnation in a nutshell. God became man. Does that mean that, that Christ ceased to be God? That he became something else and stopped being what he was? No. Does it mean he's half God and half man? <clears throat> no. Uh, he's fully God. And fully man. And so he is one person, but he has two natures, one divine and one human. And so he took on our flesh without laying aside his divine nature. He took a human nature to himself. Uh, as R.C. Sproul says, it's, it's more addition rather than subtraction. It didn't take anything away from who he was, but it simply added uh, this human nature uh, to his divine nature. So that the two natures are united inseparably to one another. We believe this because the Bible teaches it. We're not saying that we can fully comprehend it. Um, it's, it is beyond us. But he had and has a true human nature. And while some heresies deny that Jesus is God, other heresies uh, have denied his true humanity. Uh, there are heresies that say he was just, he just appeared to be human. He wasn't really. It was just um, a phantom or whatever. Well, the Shorter Catechism, I think, is a, is a very succinct and very accurate statement. It says, The Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, became man, and so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures, and one person forever. Uh, so before Christ came to earth, he was the eternal son of God. And in the fullness of time, the Bible says he became man. And he was born of the virgin, of course. From that point on, uh, when he became man, he was and forever will be one person with a human and divine nature. That will never change. Uh, Jesus... Um, we'll have our human nature uh, 
until forever and eternity. And this is a central tenet of the Christian faith. You and I must believe this. We must believe that God became man and that, that Jesus is the eternal Son of God who did become flesh. 1 John 4, verses 2 and 3, it says, By this you know the Spirit of God. In this way, in other words, you know that the Spirit of God is, is speaking. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. So if someone says, well, Jesus uh, was a great and wise teacher. Jesus was, uh, 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 you know, the, the most, he, he was a perfect man, but he wasn't pre-existent God. Then uh, that person's not speaking for God. He's not The Holy Spirit is not inspiring his speech and teaching at all. So we must believe this truth. It doesn't, again, it doesn't mean that the incarnation isn't a great mystery. It is. Uh, the Bible says, 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. So, so it, is, it is something that we cannot fully comprehend, but it does amaze us, and we must accept it if we call ourselves Christians. But... Again, it's important to remember that the two natures of Christ, though inseparably joined, are distinct. They are, uh, they are not blended together or mixed or confused. Uh, each nature retains its own unique properties. I like the way that uh, Johannes Voss, a teacher from a previous century, he said, Christ is not a being halfway between God and man. He's a person who's both God and man at the same time. He is as truly God as if he were not man at all. And he is as truly man as if he were not God at all. But of course he's both God and man. One divine person who took to himself a human nature. Uh, and he became incarnate, of course, through the, the virgin birth, the miraculous conception and birth, not the normal way. Uh, it was, it was, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin. Uh, he was sinless at birth and, and remained sinless throughout his life. But why did he become incarnate? Why was he born of the Virgin? Well, you know the answer to that question. And you'll hear it again. That is, he was born to save his people from their sins. You see, Christian faith is about salvation. And... Uh, you know, as much as we think we, we, we could somehow uh, be more civilized than that to think that we need to be saved, the fact is uh, nothing has changed in human nature. All these centuries, all these years, uh, we are those who are sinners, who have fallen short of the glory of God, who have broken the commandments of God, who deserve uh, judgment, and yet Christ came to save us from all of that, to save us from our sins and the consequences of our sins. And so, in order to do that, to save the human race, Jesus had to become a member of the human race. In order to, um, uh, he, he became a man to, to be our representative. And so, his perfect life, his perfect obedience, his perfect sacrifice on the cross to save us would not have been possible without him taking on our human nature. John says we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father. And that was true certainly for Peter, James, and John. They saw Jesus' glory. The, the brightness of his glory was revealed to them on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
And even then, uh, it still took time. And it wasn't even until after Pentecost that they fully comprehended uh, the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Do you know Christ as as John is speaking of him today? Do you know that and do you believe it? Can you say Jesus is God? It's the same thing as saying Jesus is Lord. Uh, And uh, the Bible says no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So if you can say that, give thanks to God. Give thanks to the Holy Spirit who who opened your heart and, and convinced you of the truth. Have you received him? The one who died for you and... Have you, do you confess him? You know, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you believe in your heart, if you confess Jesus is Lord, and then you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. So confession of Jesus as Lord is, is a requirement because it's the Lord who saves us. And if you don't confess he's Lord, then you don't really believe in him. And you must believe from the heart. But when we look at Christ in the Incarnation, uh, we see the humility of Christ. You can read Philippians 2, the first uh, half of that chapter, and you see the hu- great humility of Christ in coming down to earth, becoming man, uh, becoming sin for us, and so on. And so what is that, where does that leave us? It, it, it simply leaves us uh, with adoration and praise. Again, uh, O come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord uh, became man for us. He became an infant. He became dependent upon his parents. But from all eternity, he's the son of God. He didn't have to come in flesh, but he did it to save us. To save us worms of the dust. That's what we are. Amazing grace. How can it be that thou, thy God, would be born and then die for me? Lastly, from our passage, by way of application, we learned this, that Jesus is the source of life, light, grace, and truth. And so let's try to apply that to our lives. If he's fully God, if he's true God and true man, then he is the source of life, light, grace, and truth. Verse 4, we learned that he's both life and light. Uh, Since he is life itself, then if you would have life, Jesus said, I came that they might have life, and have it more abundantly. If you want life, true life, real life, spiritual life, eternal life, life itself, you must come to Jesus, the source of life. John 5, 21, As the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. So Jesus created us, but he also recreates, or we might say regenerates, us spiritually. So has Christ given you new life? Or do you still wonder, like Nicodemus, what Jesus is talking about when he says you must be born again? Uh, you know, I, I remember asking someone that years ago or, or saying, you know, well, Jesus said you have to be born again if you've been born again. And uh, he said, well, uh, you know, he acted as if he didn't really need that because he was baptized, you know, as an infant in his church. No, uh, you must be born again. Nicodemus had met all the requirements of Judaism. 
And Jesus said, don't you understand, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You need new life. You need to be regenerated. And so that's true for us today. Uh, Christ will do that. and, 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 you know, he makes us a new creation in Christ. So Jesus, it says he gives life to whom he will. First of all, it's a sovereign work for Christ to give us life. Um, but he also says that he gives life to those who come to him by faith. Um, in Matthew's gospel, he says, come to me. And at the end of John's gospel, John states the purpose of his writing his gospel. And he said, you know, the things that he wrote about Jesus, he said, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So simply believing in Jesus Christ is the way to receive that life. You cease trusting in yourself and your own intellect. You cease trusting in yourself and your own works and your own self-perceived goodness. The Bible says there's no one good, not one. If you say you're good, then... You're not telling the truth. You're not being honest with yourself. And so secondly, Jesus is the light of men. What does that have to do with us? Well, he's a source of knowledge, truth, and understanding. People go everywhere. Uh, People go to universities, they used to anyway, uh, to get truth. And I think in the motto of of Harvard, you know, there's there's that word veritas. It means truth. Um, Not sure there's much truth in Harvard anymore. Pretty sure there's 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 very little uh, today, sadly. But where do you go for truth and for understanding? You go to Jesus Christ, and because He's light, He's the light of the world. And we we, we talk about uh, I like to talk about gospel light because Second Corinthians chapter four verse four, Paul writes and he says the, uh, he speaks of the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Sounds a lot like John, doesn't he? Uh, the light of the gospel. Uh, the light of the gospel is, 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 is the only true light uh, to make sense out of life. Uh, the light of the gospel shows us the things that we don't really even think we need to know or, the, and, or we deny that we need to know. The light of the gospel shows us our sins, first of all. No one wants... No one wants to be told they're a sinner. No one wants to be told that they've done wrong, that they've fallen short, and uh, that, that they're wrong. Um, but the gospel does that, first of all. But then it reveals to us the saving work of the incarnate Lord. You have to be lost before you can be saved. Uh, and, and that's the hard part. Uh, once you realize you're lost, you, you'll want to know who the Savior is and the way out of this darkness. So the light brings us out of darkness. Have you seen the light, as they say? Well, the light is Jesus. Have you come to the light? I like the way Pastor Gordon Ketty writes it. He puts it this way. Only in the conscious embracing of Christ in saving faith does a sinner see the light that is Christ. Have you consciously embraced Jesus Christ? Or do you think somehow it's just been an osmosis thing through baptism, through confirmation, through church membership, through just knowing certain things that the Bible teaches? No, you must consciously embrace Christ in saving faith if you would have the light and know him. And next in verse 14, uh, John says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. So let's think about grace. Um, 
verse 17 of John 1 says, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came to us through Jesus Christ. So God gave the law through Moses. And Paul writes in Romans that the law is good. It's holy and it's good. But the law of God cannot save us. You say, I'll, I'll, I'll be saved by trying my best and I'll try to keep the Ten Commandments. I'll try to live by the Sermon on the Mount. That will not cut it. If you try to do those things, I think that, that'll be good. Because then you'll realize you're a sinner. Then you'll realize you need salvation because you can't do it. And so apart from Jesus Christ, the law can only condemn us. And it condemns us. It convicts us of sin so that we will turn to Jesus and, and realize that we can only be saved by grace. What is grace? Well, to, to use a few well-worn but true cliches, grace is the gift of salvation to undeserving sinners. Grace is um, the unmerited favor of God. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is the goodwill and merciful kindness of God in giving His Son to be born and then die for us so that we can could be forgiven and go to heaven. So do you know anything of that saving grace? Do you understand that salvation is a gift? It's a free gift. It's an undeserved gift. Uh, it's given to those who admit that they don't deserve anything from God other than judgment. If you are not saved by grace, you cannot be saved at all. One Greek dictionary says that grace is the kindness of God by which he exerts his holy influence upon souls turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, and increases them in the Christian faith. So you need grace, in other words, not only at the very beginning, not only at conversion, but you need grace to keep you, to strengthen you, and to increase your faith and to grow you in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. So the grace of God is... Is, is something that we need all the time. John 1.16, he says, And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. Lastly, as the incarnate word, Jesus Christ is full of truth. Um, because he is the truth. I am the truth, said Jesus. You can't say that. I can't say that. Only one who is God himself can say, I am the truth. Now, of course, our culture today is rife with lies. Um, we can't really trust anybody uh, because we know they're lying. <laughs> uh, people lie. That's, that's what they do. The Bible says all men are liars. And that means you and me are part of those lying group, this lying group of people. Well, sadly, we often believe the lies of the world and uh, speaking of the unbelieving world Romans 125 says people exchange the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator that's a horrible thing to do to exchange the truth for the lie the lie of the evil one but Jesus Christ is different uh, he's incarnate truth you can trust him uh, you can't fully trust the person next to you. You can't fully trust the person you're married to. You can trust them more than most, I hope. <laughs> you can't trust the preacher up here in the pulpit, not like you can trust the incarnate Word of God. He alone is trustworthy. I pray to be trustworthy. I pray to be faithful. 
And you pray for me in that way. I know you do. But you can count on what Jesus says. And, and he also will enable you to understand it. Give me understanding, Lord. Show me the truth, but enable me to, to comprehend and understand it as much as I can. So do you know the truth? Have you believed the truth? And Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And uh, again, the, the Jewish leaders at that time says, we're not enslaved to anybody. Well, sorry, you can't be set free if you're not a slave, if you don't see your slavery to sin. But Jesus will set you free if you believe the truth of his word as revealed in the Bible. So Jesus is true God. He's true man. And he's life and light. He's grace and truth. I hope that you will continue. That you will first of all put your trust in him if you don't know him today. If you haven't personally, consciously embraced him as Lord and Savior, do that today. And if you have, then continue to grow in that faith and in that knowledge of the one who came into this world. God becoming man for us. He did it for you and for me. And he says, all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. He's ready to receive you if you will receive him. Let us pray.